Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Product Coalition podcast. I'm on the European tour, albeit in a static location, not travelling unfortunately, and today I'm really excited to be joined by Alex Fester from SUSE. Welcome Alex. Thank you, welcome. Hi Jay. It's great Hi, to everyone. Great to have you on on the show. I'm really looking forward to this session. Apologies, we can't be face to face in Munich um, as we planned, but hopefully this is just as good for everyone else. Well, that that definitely you need to have again to do the the tour to Munich, and we have to have a beer then. Yeah, that's a perfect <laughs> excuse. <laughs> a Bavarian beer, definitely. Um, for those record uh, listening in to this recording, this is obviously a remote podcast, so unfortunately we may hit some audio issues along the way with dropouts or um, quality of sound. Please bear with us. Unfortunately, it can't be face-to-face like we would have liked. So as I say, I'm on a European tour and I'm speaking to product leaders and gaining insights, knowledge and experience to share with you the Product Coalition Global Community. Now, this tour and every single podcast is dedicated to raising awareness and support for the bushfire-affected communities and wildlife in Australia. So if you enjoy this episode, please show your support for three different amazing causes you can choose from actually over at bushfire.productcoalition.com. If you've just discovered the Product Coalition, welcome. We're a global product community with over half a million readers, 6,000 Slack members and thousands of podcast listeners. You can find out more about the community over at platform.productcoalition.com. Now, before we get stuck in, I do need to give a big thank you to some brands and individuals that have made significant donations to the Bushfire fundraiser that I mentioned. First up is UserPilot. UserPilot is a code for a user onboarding and adoption tool designed especially for product management teams. UserPilot helps to increase conversion, user retention rates and reduce churn by guiding new users to their first aha moment with interactive walkthroughs, contextual product tours and onboarding checklists. It allows product managers to build fully customizable behavior-triggered in-app experiences with a simple visual editor. Head over to userpilot.com to book your demo and grab a free trial. Showbit Chug is a Google product manager and Showbit helps product managers become product leaders and have careers they can be proud of. Head to intentionalproductmanager.com and sign up for Showbit's free class on the habits that turn product managers into exceptional product leaders and help them move through their careers fast. Product-led teams like Mixpanel and Flexport know that a best time to capture engagement is when a user is already inside the product. That's why they use Chameleon to drive feature adoption, build onboarding flows, and gather user feedback. You can give it a go at trychameleon.com success. I'd also like to thank Rich Mironoff and Chris Miles as individuals with big donations for the Bushfire fundraiser. Alex, let's get stuck in. Yeah. So today we, we, we're going to be chatting about creating engaged teams as a product manager, which I'm looking forward, forward to working through with you. Before we get started, Alex, do you mind sharing with the audience your a bit about you and your product career? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's start from what I'm doing uh, nowadays. So I'm a product manager, a senior product manager at SUSE. SUSE is a German company. Uh, if the name doesn't ring a bell to you, Probably a ring of the bell is the fact that we are the longest maintainer of Linux worldwide. So when basically Linux Torvald released uh, Linux, three uh, years after, SUSE was founded, and we started actually to provide the first enterprise Linux uh, operating system there. Now, uh, it's a more than 28 years old company at this point, and guess what I'm doing there? Artificial intelligence. That definitely is the newborn and is the newest things out in the world. Now, uh, it's pretty interesting because AI, usually we 
start thinking about AI like, you know, startups and application layers like NLP bots and so on. But when it comes to enterprise companies like SUSE, AI is a completely different topic. It's infrastructure. It's solving everything that it comes before you release that application. So in really 30 seconds, what you can actually, you can explain is like, think of AI like a big iceberg. Right. So you, you see that, that the top of the iceberg is out of the water. That is the shiny AI. That is the, your latest bot, the, your digital assistant, and so on. But thinks about everything that is under the water. This big part of the iceberg, this is an infrastructure challenge. It, it comes from uh, collecting the data, the way you manipulate the data, you store the data, the way you build the frameworks and the model you use, how do you transform them in containers or pipeline or whatever you use them to basically provide a model up to the production. So all those challenges, this is what I'm doing there. As a product manager, I drive the strategy from SUSE and drive the strategy through AI to provide it to our customer and partners. So that's me. Um, what else about me? Well, I'm Italian, and that's a big issue for Jay today because as you, every Italian, if I start talking, I never stop. And so that, <laughs> that's absolutely a big issue for him. That means that this podcast probably will endure like eight hours. <laughs> um, I'm a cook. Uh, actually, I'm ah. a professional cook. You didn't know that. That's nah. a pretty surprise, Jay. Yeah. Cool. So I basically followed a, a professional course uh, for, for, for three years ago. And right. I basically took a degree as a, as a professional cook. So as a backup plan, just in case, you know. Um, yeah. And that's me. Living in Turin, Italy. Uh, if you don't know Turin, you probably heard about well, Juventus, if you're a soccer football fan. Um, or you know it for Fiat Chrysler. Uh, the automotive company. But also if you, let's say, if you believe in God, you're Christians in case, uh, Turin is where the Holy Shroud from where Jesus was, as he kept after that he was crucified, uh, he's here in, in Torino. Wow. So you can wow. actually you can see that. Yeah, that, that's some, some, some good news about uh, an excuse to, to come the next, your next <laughs> European tour, absolutely have to come to Torino at this point. Uh, that's me. Even even just to get to a Juventus game um, for the football, oh, yeah. that would be um, an amazing experience. I definitely would like to have done that. In fact, when I was d- planning the whole tour, my plan was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big soccer fan. Uh, I enjoy my sport. So mm-hmm. was to pick up a team and get to a stadium in every city that I visit. So, um, cool. you know, I w- was hoping to get to an FC Copenhagen game. Um, I picked them as my team when I was... I had a tough choice though in Germany between the Berlin yeah. teams and Munich. You know, I didn't want to jump on the Munich by Munich bandwagon, really. But we'll see, we'll see. I've yet to make some choices for teams in Germany. Oh yeah. Yeah, and, well, and, if you if you if you decided to come come down to Torino, we absolutely have to record, a, uh, let's say, a special version of that podcast. Yeah, at, directly at the stadium. Yeah, nice. That would be some atmosphere, definitely, definitely. Um, thank you so much for for sharing that introduction and the. Your world in artificial intelligence right now. Can I ask, has, has that always been a, a part of um, SUSE? Like, um, artificial no. intelligence got a lot of light in the last sort of five years, particularly, but bef- before then, has there been a, was that always there? No, no, absolutely not. Um, that's one of the challenges of, of, of many enterprise companies, by the way. Right. Um, I'm speaking mainly around SUSE, but probably that can be applied to any other enterprise company. Um, the point was this new technology, let's call it like that for the sake of conversation, this new wave came in 
and um, and partners start to request it and, and customers start to request, you, you should have something. Uh, in a nutshell, it's like people come to you as enterprise companies and say, you know, I'd like to have your product more smarter. They, you sh- they should predict their failures. They should give me some insights uh, before time. Um, and, and then the company need to recognize this need and need to set up his, uh, itself to, to actually to, to satisfy it. And that's where, where people like me jumps in. Um, the problem is that the challenge is there is that you're talking about a company that is very well structured, uh, that is used to do its job with different timeline. This is not a startup, um, from, especially we are doing operating systems. So, you know, the, the life cycle of product is, is longer than, than, than other, other kinds of companies. But when it comes to AI, it's a completely different paradigm. You move in a market that is really fast. You need to release often, as often as possible. And any change vary, especially this time. And, and so you have to, you know, balance and combine those challenges within the existing organization. So Suze decided to invest on AI three years ago, uh, more or less. Uh, but it took like uh, more than one year just to understand actually, actually what they want to do. And that's why at some point they hired me uh, to drive this strategy in a completely different uh, fashion. They right. want me uh, actually to drive something from new from scratch and, and, and fit in the story. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Do you mind sharing um, how, how did you get into AI? What was, what was the starting point for de- developing skills and knowledge and experience in in that space, yeah. Well, well, it was pretty interesting. Curious enough, um, I always been interested in AI, even if I didn't know that it was AI. So I, I, I give you a story that is pretty funny. So when I was sixteen years old, so it's a long time, um, really long time. <laughs> I used to have a so I built on my own a sort of a really simple software and doing a test. The test was basically my mind at that point was basically, um, I want to build a system that was able to basically to, um, reply to your questions in a smart way. So what we call it today in NLP and my usual test, it was actually to interview people and just look at them straight forward, say nothing, just green. And that's all I said. It was like green and wait. Now, it was interesting because you build a model. And the model was like when you basically you say something like green to a person and a person that has no context, your brain starts to try to you know, figure out the context. So you reply with something like, I don't know, people uh, reply with grass, other people reply with cross light and et cetera. And then you keep saying green and they try to add the context or to figure out the context. Now, this allowed me to build the the system that was this model that says, okay, if you don't have a context, this is the list of the things you can eventually, you can pick up to create your own context. Otherwise, you can ask questions to uh, figure out the context. And then I put that. So that led me actually to try to uh, know more. And then I figured out there was existing something called like uh, fuzzy logic, and all the mathematical around that. And that's where I'm started basically to interest in AI. Now, life is funny because uh, I move on in my, in, you know, in my job career. I started as a season mean. So from then on, so I ended up in a company doing identity management. Um, right. It's called One Identity. And, uh, and guess what? We acquired a, a company there 
um, you know, merge acquisition that actually as data scientists. So I could hook it up again with data science. Cool. And then I was finally, you know, in a position to do again my job. And right. that's where I am today. So it's a long story right. uh, wow. that is made by the fact that, you know, AI is since ever. Uh, we, we think it's a new thing, but actually it exists since very long time. And, and that's why people like me actually also would be interested, even if they didn't know that it was called AI at that point. Could you share a little bit around what, what types of jobs does AI do at SUSE for you that a human couldn't do? Um, well, um, think about, let's say, I pick up a pro, uh, one of our products, let's say storage. We, we made a storage based on open source. You have to think about, just to put you some context, SUSE is an open source company. That means that everything we do is open source. So you have the, let's say, the, the SUSE products that you pay for subscription for, but also you got the open, open source product or the open source project we maintain or we collaborate upstream. SAF uh, as a storage is the open source uh, part of it. Uh, we got other product links, of course, and so on. So uh, in the case of storage, think about you have a storage and uh, you have this big cluster, you move data there, and probably you have two typical use cases there. One is you like to know if one of your multi-cluster nodes, um, multi-cluster, multi-instances is going to fail for any reason, and what's the reason before time. This is a predictive maintenance if you want to predict right. failures. The other one is actually try to get an optimization, so a dynamic optimization. Like, again, it could be on storage, but it could be even on Kubernetes is something where we work. We are an upstream maintainer for Kubernetes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, think about predict the workload. Where I'm going to move this, this workload on which node? Why I shouldn't move this workload to this node? Maybe because it's going to fail. So AI at the core is this, Susie, is basically make products and make uh, solutions smarter. From the, point of view. the other point where we are working on is making life of data scientists easier. So one thing we recognize is that Nowadays, one of the challenges that the scientists have that they have to learn a lot of technology to do their job. But at the core, again, they're mathematics. They're, they're doing mathematics. They're not, they should focus on this. They should focus on building models. They shouldn't focus on learning how to configure Kubernetes or Kubeflow or other platform like that, how to you know, manage workloads, how to create a container. Uh, that's not part of the job role or shouldn't be part of the job. So what we are making, and we will release it pretty soon, uh, a solution like that is make data science life easier in a way where they don't see the complexity and they just focus on their, their real job role, uh, making great model, mathematical models. So that's that's what we are doing right now. Yeah, Fantastic. It's always uh, always insightful to learn the jobs yeah. of... Uh of, of AI um, and particularly in an environment uh, and an enterprise mm-hmm. like this. Now, Suse is an enterprise company, but as you mentioned, it's, it's, it's an enterprise company with a difference sort of leading open source for decades. Um, c- could you talk to me a little bit around what, what are some of the pros and cons of working in an enterprise company like that, that um, yeah. I imagine feel, feel some sort of burden to maintain the open source world and continue to contribute to that? Yeah, absolutely. So it is, it is it's pretty interesting because so from one side, we are an enterprise company. And as an enterprise company, you have to be really, you know, well-organized. 
you need to be really uh, consistent on what you're delivering because you have a, a long list of big customers there um, that you have to satisfy. And you can really see, you know, easy products there. You cannot try and attempt um, to do something because it, if it doesn't work, basically you will have big troubles there. On the other hand, you're open source. And the nature of open source is try, is, is try new things, is try to, to do things. And you have to collaborate open source. And um, so there's this kind of balance, especially in engineers' organization, where from some, some point of view, you have to look at your product from the eyes of uh, someone that has to sell these products. But at the same time, the same person should look at this product like, how can I create more value around this product from an open source perspective. How can I collaborate with the community and bring them uh, something new? Um, so that leads actually to have an organization that it can appear sometimes even slow because it's so well organized. It then appears that sometimes it's really too much structure and then becomes, well, between really brackets, I call it uh, the troubles of a, a AI product manager because the product manager and AI act like a startup. And so when you jump on these, you have to basically to change completely the, the paradigma. You have to change completely the way you approach things. Uh, in AI, and if you look at it as a startup, you, you fail, you, you try fast, you fail fast, and you learn from there. And so you have to basically work with different cross-functional teams uh, to revert completely the organization internally and try to keep up people from different teams to build something that is completely new, is innovation. And that's absolutely why I love so much my, my role now. That is basically about, you have to learn how to, uh, to engage the people to the point where you completely revert the organization, you completely change the, the organization, even if those people keep doing their job. And, and so there's not really necessarily, you know, a team assigned, there's not necessarily someone, actually, but it's more about people that literally come to you and say, oh, I want to do this with my products. Please tell me how I can do that. Please tell me how we can do that. What are the needs that we need, who we need to, to do, uh, to talk to, how we can build that. And that's the engagement, that, that, that the part of a product manager, the secret sauce of a product manager, as I call it, that is where you, you have to be really creative in that. And, and, and that, that's basically the lives of an open source company that is also an enterprise company. That again is is pretty challenging. It's pretty different. I come from a um, a closer software company um, where everything is uh, under IP. So when you come here, you absolutely have to learn a completely different way to approach things. Whatever you do, it will be open to others to use it. So right. Um, right. you know, but that comes with its own yeah, benefits as well. Um, I, I expect the, the ability to have a network to peer review changes and peer review code and for others to contribute allows for more rapid development as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But also give you an unexpected, unexpected uh, diversion. Because, right. for example, you, 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 know, you have a vision, you have a plan, you set up the plan, but because this is uh, open to the community, sometimes community decides something different. And then all of a sudden you see that your product is evolving in something that you, you didn't expect at the yeah. point. You have to adapt there and actually yeah. to learn. And that's why, you know, working with cross-functional teams and engage them to the point where they literally, they follow your ideas is great because you can adapt to the community and they can 
help your your teams to adapt to, to, to the new changes and and bring again value for everyone it's certainly a very different dynamic i mean for most product managers they're they're using the community around a product to help inform the way yeah. the roadmap shapes up but in this instance the community can literally grab the product and take it on its own roadmap completely out of your control in in its own yeah. direction um how do you how do you balance that when it comes to then making decisions of what you bring back into your enter- enterprise software yeah so and that, that's a great question because that, that that's exactly the problem it's right. like so again for the sake of the conversation let me make things simpler but so community keep throwing stuff at you community keep taking decisions, throwing new features and decide for new features. But at some point you have to balance them because you cannot pick all them up and put in the product and you have to take the decision. And, and you, you said a few seconds ago that usually part of the manager use community as a, as a feedback, as a, as a voice, user voice to understand where the market is going. But because community is so involved in the product, there's a big risk that actually all of, our, all of us becomes blind. Oh, we want desperately this feature because everybody loves this feature. But then when you look at the market, not necessarily this feature is successful. So that's, that's the hack to balance that you have to, uh, to do. That is more about split the vision in what the product is, is evolving to, that, that is the open source community, with instead of what your idea of the product should be. That need to be consistent what what the community is doing, but at the same time need to be um, tower your partners, tower your customers, and and be named. So what I'm doing, for example, myself is more about I'm listening to the community and the user voice, and then I'm having different conversation with the partner and customers, and trying to balance them and see where the both of them have a common points. Those common points typically tells me that that, that is the, the, the direction that both of them, they expect from my products. Um, of course, what you can see is typically that the, the community version of a product probably evolved faster uh, because in our case, it's not just a matter of you know, bringing on the new feature, but it's also a matter of understanding how we can position the product with this new feature, how we can if the product change, we can actually change it accordingly in terms of not just selling, but in terms of how the customer perceive it. So I was speaking about, you know, making a product smarter. Um, well, the, the easy question is like, you can make a product smarter in many ways. The problem is that what's the right use case your customer would expect. Uh, I can put their digital assistant that basically ping you and say, oh, your nodes on, this node on, on your Kubernetes cluster is going to fail. It seems like, you know, a catchy feature, but is this really valuable? Right. Is this something that partners expect? How my partners can eventually use that to make more value for themselves? How my customer would use it? So those questions are the typical product management questions that you need to solve. Right. And, and the community somehow helps that, but sometimes actually can make your life a little bit tougher because you can, as I said before, all of us can be, become blind pretty quickly. Can I ask, how, how does the community or how do you manage the community response when you take a feature or an improvement that the community has developed and you bring it into the commercial product? How, how is that handled? Is that celebrated by the community or do they see it as they're doing the hard work for you? How, how do you manage that? 
Well, well, so there's not really enough something like, you know, whatever you do in the community will be reflecting the products in terms of, oh, thank you to the community. It's more about, you know, it's a common ground. For example, the one thing that is really, um, it, it's, it's still quite weird from some point of view to me is like, so in many cases we collaborate with uh, what we what are our, our, our um, competitors. So we collaborate with Red Hat or right. Canonical. Okay. And and that's if you come from a closer software company, this is weird. It's like if you know, it's like if Microsoft and Google basically collaborate each other on the Microsoft product. That is like oh, well, well, why? But that that's the nature of open source. Um. So you you all join. You basically you you know, you recognize the effort to anyone in the community and you basically pick up, sometimes you pick up the same, the same new features or the same new improvement in, in all the products. What we do is basically we always pay, you know, a tribute to the community in our products to remind everyone that even if it's a different name, this part is there because of this open source project. Right, nice. So, for example, one of our UI in, uh, in one of our products, um, called Suze Cap, uh, is based on, uh, on, a, on an open source project called Stratos, Stratos UI. And it's really clear when you use the product that we use Stratos as a project. Right. And, and we, you know, and we, we, we spend a lot of effort and energy to remind people that if it is there, it's because of this project. If this is there because we have these great communities and great open source products that we can leverage on. So we basically we transparently say to people, we don't invent anything. We simply, you know, reuse something that the community built and we make it uh, a little bit better or a little bit more consistent or a bit more stable for those customers that look for this enterprise kind of, a, of approach. Um, if, if you want, if I can use an analogy, is again, it's like, you know, um, water. You can drink water directly in, in every home, in every, almost every house, let's say in, in Europe, if we think in Europe and US, but you stay, you still, you, you basically go out and, and buy water. And why you buy water? Why you buy still water when you can have it uh, for free at home? Right. Because what you're looking for is a, a, a specific feature or a specific kind of uh, quality uh, what you're looking for is that this still water went through you know some uh, test so i know that is clean i know that is uh, been filtered and, and so on and this is why i buy water and open source and and, and companies like suze are exactly the same you can have you know free water you just go out and pick up the same project on the on the community or you want to have a high quality version of it and this is what we provide there Great. And that's the that's the way we work. Yeah. Great analogy. Makes it very clear actually. Mm. Um so we've talked a lot about engagement with the community. Let's talk about engagement internally. Um you, you mentioned um that you're a remote working business for a large part mm-hmm. as well. Um and, and you're an enterprise and you've been around twenty eight years. So how do you manage internal engagement? So again, it's like I tell you what I've done at SUSE. Um, so I joined SUSE and literally they told me, okay, you have to drive the AI strategy here. You have to build something around AI. We have no idea yet about what, uh, but you have to basically do something. Cool. And okay, you can have a team, but the, 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 my first question was like, who in this company knows about AI? 
because you know I'm super happy that an executive tells me, oh, you you have to build the product around AI, but actually the people I'm looking for are probably engineers. So how can I get grab them? And are they interested in AI? Because maybe I will figure out that these people they don't care at all about my stuff. So how do I create engagement? So the first things was actually to have a creative way to, to create engagement. And my way was basically to set up a regular uh, monthly call that uh, basically we, we call it um, um, artificial intelligence um, flash talk. And uh, the concept of flash talk was pretty easy. So I give 30 minutes to anyone in engineering organization to provide any kind of presentation, demo, talk, conversation around AI whatever they feel like. If nobody actually can show up, I can do that for them. And uh, 10 minutes each. So it was strict time, really high pressure, but you are free to go to do whatever you want. And I start that really spreading out emails and the conversation via the internal uh, chat and said, oh, do you want to participate? Do you want to talk about something? Do you want to talk anything? So we got really completely different results. We discovered, for example, that we have a, we had a, a guy in the maintenance team that actually was a data scientist, and he did a predictive model for our management um, for our maintenance team, and it was absolutely un, un, um, unexpected. Now, what actually did this uh, this flash flash chat we 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 make? Well, it created a sort of uh, a wave where people start to join and start to talk about this and start to basically get there and said, oh, I just read this great PDF, this great article around uh, these specific frameworks, and that's it. And that's create a sort of movement. It's an internal movement. It's cross-functional. And actually, you start to get people that pay attention to what you are saying and what you are building. And that is where you, you start to pitch your story. You start there engage around the topic and then you can engage back them to say oh by the way i'm thinking doing this this and that and they give you feedback they are the, your first customers and then you engage other kind of functionals uh, uh functional teams like for example at some point we open up and we start to work with um uh, marketing and we start to work with sales and pre-sales uh again with the same idea that was like I'm not trying to sell you my story. I'm trying just to understand if you like the idea about doing something around the eye. And I want to hear your ideas. And this openness and this, you know, way to provide and, and give feedback and receive feedback from them actually allows you to understand uh, how you can work and who you can work with to be your product. And, uh, well, Literally, we those those kind of uh, moments we have internally now. Basically, we have like chats with hundreds of people there that speaking about AI completely in a let's say on their own. Um, they simply reach out to me when they have uh, something they consider a good idea. But is is amazing as you you got people that literally do side project out of their daily job just to do something to show you and say, okay, I did this. Are you interested? And that's the, that's the engagement, how you engage people internally. Um, don't expect people actually, you know, to, to come to you immediately. You have to go there, try to, you know, find their passions and then leverage these. With what you've just said there, for me, there's actually a lot of overlap between that and 
the open source community approach. It's it's all around um, letting people in, um, taking their feedback on, taking a balanced view yeah. to to what you're hearing, and maybe um, f- for product managers out there listening, even in closed source products, take an open yeah. source approach to managing your product yeah. and your community internally, I mean, and have that mindset. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking about myself as a collector. Uh, that's who I am. I'm open. I can tell you my ideas, but I'm open to listen to you. That's what the product manager should do all the time. You, you're a listener. You're a collector. You go outside, in, inside. It's no matter. You simply go to people and, and tell us a really pose a simple question that is like, tell me what you think about this. And people will react and people will start to share. And, you know, there's many, many times where eventually those ideas, nothing new, maybe this, those ideas, something that doesn't really fit your story, the story you have in mind. But in most cases, you will bring, you will basically see that people bring on the tables really great, you know, innovative ideas that again, maybe you don't have the, you know, the time frame, you don't have resources to do so, but they basically keep make growing your your story and that helps you that's why for example one of the i think one of the three for product manager and and that or advice i can give to especially young product manager don't be shy to meet customers meet past partners don't be shy to go to conferences and talk to people be be engaged um, i'm thinking about the slack channel for for product coalition that the slack channel is is amazing there's hundreds of thousands of people there be engaged go there talk to people be open because those are the user voice you're looking for this is where you learn from others this is where you learn especially about the product you have in mind uh if you don't talk to people you will never build any 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 great product uh because the great products are a result of what people are thinking what people are expecting and you cannot know that if you don't reach down out first Great advice, great advice. In an organisation that is an enterprise and is quite old, um, like Suse, um, I imagine there is a hierarchy. Can I ask, how do you engage with an executive differently, if yeah. at all, um, to um, colleagues and peers around you? Yeah, that, that's, that's uh, the piece of advice I learned in over over years. So first of all, you cannot talk the same language to different kind of stakeholders, let's call it like that. I mean, if you're, if you're presenting your idea to an executive, whether you're presenting an idea to an engineer or, or marketing or a sales rep, you have to provide a different language. Even the time could be completely different. Um, you have to always keep in mind that in a, an enterprise company, executive has really short times. It's not because they don't pay attention. They pay a lot of attention, but they are so busy that often you end up having like five, 10 minutes. You have one single shot. So the first piece of advice is that rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. Whatever you're going to present to whoever you're going to present, be really clear in what you're going to present as a story. Be clear, be able actually to explain your story, whether it is in 30 seconds, five minutes, or one hour. Because that's the language you're looking for. The second thing is that pay attention to the message you're, you're, you're giving. Uh, an executive doesn't want the, the not necessarily doesn't want the details of uh, you know the technicalities of your products and how you will basically build the next application and so on. 
you want to understand, you know, the potential, the potential of a product. You want to understand how the product is going to grow up in six months, in one year, in three years. That's the kind of information they need. When instead, when you talk to engineers or you talk to technical people, the language is completely different. They want to have the details. They don't want to get lost in, oh, how do you sell it? Or how do you support it? Oh, and so on. They want the details and they want to be covered. But, and that's the second piece of advice, you know, don't be, don't let yourself to be dragged over uh, to this kind of conversation too much. I mean, don't get lost in the details with engineers. Don't get lost in a position where, oh, we need to everything be set up. You have to keep being agile. Keep focus on the, let's say, the minimal things that you need to provide, your minimal viable products, do that, and then move on. Same when you when you basically you, you talk to our executives. Again, be frank, be transparent, be real in terms of give a piece of reality. This is what we're going to do. This is just a, a minimal features we will set up so you can sell it. Then we will move on. Um, and don't be shy. Again, if you have to write an email to an executive, if you've just been hired since like uh, three days, don't be shy. I mean, I'm not saying that you have to spawn your executive because that that's probably a different story, but don't be shy to reach out to executive. Talk to your manager eventually first. That's always good, you know, rule of thumbs, but go there, explain your ideas because if you don't do that, they will never hear or they will never know that actually you have brilliant ideas there. Um, and, and that's how you, you basically you move into the hierarchy of an enterprise company. Some great advice there. I, you know, I I know from conversations I've had with execs, I think they're actually more surprised if a product, particularly a, a product manager or a senior product manager, hasn't introduced themselves when they join the business because it's it's a senior role. There's a lot of responsibility in the role, and and you're you're fully entitled to introduce yourself to executive and and if anything, you should you should be. Um, for those listening, my tactic for rehearsal is actually run a webinar for one. So grab your presentation hit record on your screen recording software turn the webcam on run a webinar for one talking through the presentation watch it back and 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 learn yeah and i mean well if you're lucky you probably you work with a company like suze for example and give another 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 story about that so suze every year does what we call it the hack week right. so the hack week is a one week where we basically we offer all our engineer organizations actually everyone in the organization to spend one week in a personal project doing something that could be anything and is open to anyone. So anyone in the community can join someone from SUSE for one week and spend time there. Wow. So for example, in the, in this hack week, that is um, this year, we, we spend one week in a cross-functional team to build a, one of the products we are going to build uh, around AI. And guess what? I had some executives actually asking me to join. Um, because of the time they cannot join for the full week, but actually we, we, they ask it to be, you know, updated on this because the first thing is like, they are humans like us. Don't be shy for that. They are humans like that. Like you mentioned, uh, maybe just a webinar or whatever, just let them know because they, they are humans like that. They don't know anything and they're surprised and they expect us as a product manager to, you know, reach on them and say Here's what I'm thinking we should do because we know the market, because we know where the market is going. That's our role. Our role is actually to drive companies through the market and say, 
this is the next big product or next big feature we have to do because that will make our company successful. Brilliant. I've got a final question for you, Alex. Yep. Um, you mentioned you're a professional chef and a professional product manager in AI. Do those two worlds ever combine? Do you ever use an AI model oh, to predict yes. oregano recipes or, <laughs> or anything oh, like that? Well, well. So he, here's, the, here's the story. So the final test uh, to be graduate as a, as a chef basically was actually to prepare an entire dinner for the for, for the committee basically there was actually graduates so we would be splitting you know in parties so i was responsible with my my team um to make the the first course now the the the, the duty of this is of course you have to synchronize with the other teams because you know you cannot go out before the appetizer you you need to be in time otherwise the second course will be late and and everything was messed up and and so the, I was speaking to people and, and I literally tell them like, okay, look guys, I know that this is something weird, but we need a backlog and we need to <laughs> prioritize stuff. And they were like looking at me a little like, what, what are you talking about? So, like, Trust me, I know what I'm doing here. Just follow the task. I would put there on a, you know, on a piece of paper, a, a, a list of tasks. And then I would do uh, what I call features, actually, that is like the source. And I will assign those. Just do that. But actually, if you think about that, it's exactly the same. A chef basically has to manage uh, different cross-functional teams. Everyone is responsible for a different piece of that, and they need to sync to serve multiple people at the same time. And every single plate that goes out from the kitchen needs to be exactly the same like the other one. So you have to keep, learn, and repeat all the time. And um, and that's actually product management in Goes you, to show it's all about the mindset, not, yeah. not, the, not the job title. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Brilliant. And that's, that's why, you know, I love cooking and I love product management. Great. Can I ask, you got a favourite dish that you enjoy churning out of your backlog? Oh, well, yeah. Well, so it's, um, it's, a, different, it's a little hard to basically explain in English, but let's right. say it's, it's, uh, it's meat that actually is overcooked on the wine, on a Piemontese wine, is Brasato al Barolo. Basically, you got this meat and you overcook it. Overcook it means of, over three, six hours right. uh, on the wine yep. until the, basically the, the meat melt, literally. It's ah. literally melting in your mouth. And it has this, uh, and the wine because this really thick sauce. So basically, you got this, right. this sauce that has a combination of, it, it does, it's not alcoholic anymore at that point. Right. Okay. And it's typical from, from my place and it's absolutely great. And uh, well, actually, uh, anyone, I'm on the Slack channel. So anyone <laughs> who wants to recite, want to know, just reach me out on the Slack channel. I'll be more than happy to, to talk about food <laughs> and, and, and share the slides. That's it. Maybe we do need a uh, product manager's chefing channel on Slack. Uh, oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time, Alex. This has been really interesting to talk through. I've certainly learned a lot um, from you this morning. So thank you so much for sharing. Oh, thank you to you, Jay. And thank you very much for this opportunity. It was really great. And Product Coalition, as always, is really great time. Appreciate your kind words. Thank you so much. For those listening in, hope you enjoyed this podcast as well with myself and Alex Fester. If you have, please remember all the time I'm committing here is to raising awareness and funds for the bushfire affected communities of Australia. If you'd like to support either the volunteer firefighters, the wildlife or the National Bushfire Fund of Australia, you can do so over at bushfire.productcoalition.com. 
Until the next episode, thank you for listening. Thank you.